again, <clears throat> Israel is going through that sin cycle, that time of uh, relying on God and trusting God, and God delivers them and they serve God, and then uh, something happens and they begin to fall away, and uh, then God corrects them and rebukes them and sends someone in to, to take over, and they're put into bondage and they're suffering and they're hurting and they suffer longer and longer and then they cry out and God delivers them again and it's just a, a repeat cycle. This Israel has not learned their lesson. We've already seen this several times. After Othniel dies, Israel again walks away from serving God. And for 18 more years, God delivered them into bondage in Moab. Now, you would think that if we get burnt enough, we would understand. I, I don't normally remember my dreams, but I had a dream last night. And it was about Charity White. And she was in our trailer, but it wasn't our trailer. And uh, so Charity is probably Naomi's age. And uh, she was, for some reason, she was staying in our camper, but it wasn't this one. It was set up differently. And she got up from a table and she went to walk between Rachel and I between what would be like two restaurant booths. And she tripped and for some reason we had an open stove top in the middle of the aisle and it was turned on and she stuck her hand on it and immediately just fried her hand. I mean to the point where the skin is shiny and ready to fall off. Just immediately fried her hand. <laughs> and it just reminded me that so often, you know, even today, I, I got burnt many times as a young man, and today I still play with fire. I still like to, I, I almost every time I grill, I burn the hair off my arms, um, just because I can't stay away from it. <laughs> but again and again and again, Israel returns back, and they have great times where. God provides and God directs and God guides and and they're prospering and then all of a sudden they slowly turn away and, and God has to correct them again. God again delivers Israel into bondage to help them learn their lesson. This time he raises up Eglon, the king of Moab, in order to do the, to do the teaching. Now remember, Moab and Ammon are the sons of Lot. <clears throat> And his daughters from Genesis 19, 30 through 38. We won't get into that whole story. But understand that Lot, as a righteous man, had to be drugged out of Sodom and Gomorrah, an extremely evil and wicked place. One that God was going to destroy that day. The angels had to drag him out. And then instead of following God and going to the mountains and fleeing and relying on God to provide and care for them, Lot decided he wanted to go to a city. A small city because he was afraid he'd die in the mountains. And his wife turned around and saw Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed and was turned to a pillar of salt. And then Lot finally fled to the mountains, but his daughters had been so corrupted that that whole situation happened and now Moab and Ammon are born. And Moab and Ammon are thorns in the side of... of Israel to this day. This is, this is, again, a people that God instructed Israel to have nothing to do with. 
And I don't think I mentioned this when we talked about Lot a couple of weeks ago, but if you remember, Abraham spent a day just pleading with God to save the city. He started at 50 righteous and got all the way down to 10 righteous. And God said that he would spare the city for 10. And then we jump to the angels going and dealing with Lot. And then when we jump back to Abraham, Abraham gets up and looks and sees the smoke of the city. It never says that Abraham and Lot ever met back up. It never says that Abraham ever knew what happened to Lot. Now, I would assume that he would be told by somebody. News like that can't, can't go unsaid. But these people were people that knew God, that knew the God of Abraham. And by the way, you'll also notice in that whole situation that Lot had to be removed before Isaac could be born. Because God knew Lot's heart. He knew that he was a righteous, he was a saved man, that he was going to end up in heaven. But he knew that Lot would be a thorn in the side to Isaac. And God pulled Lot out of that situation in order for Isaac to be born and for him to be able to grow and become to bring forth Jacob and Esau and Israel. But there's hope for today. While it may make you just bang your head against the wall as you watch Israel go through this sin cycle of repentance and sin and repentance and sin, it should also encourage all of us that God is long-suffering with Israel. And since He's long-suffering with Israel, He's long-suffering with us. Because we suffer this same infirmity daily. The process of sanctification in the Christian life is a lot like a baby who is learning to walk and crawl. They lift themselves up on their hands and, and they fall. And they lift themselves up and they fall. Eventually they begin to be able to roll over and move and, and crawl. And then they start to crawl up on the furniture and, and they stand up and they fall and they stand up and they fall. And eventually they get to the point where we can't keep control of them or we've got to put them on a leash so they don't just wander off Rachel was doing that to me last yesterday she just kept reaching up and grabbing a belt loop as I'm walking through Lowe's because I, I think she was afraid I was going to leave her but this is the way our Christian walk is we start out as babes in Christ as new believers who don't know our right from our left and we begin to grow and we begin to learn and God begins to teach us and we begin to take steps, but we still fall and we still fail. But God is right there to pick us up and put us back where we need to be if we'll continue to follow Him, if we choose to seek His help. Here, Israel sought God. They cried out, and God is going to deliver them from Eglon. But first, let's learn a little bit about Eglon. Eglon didn't, he didn't want to go out and conquer Israel alone, so he brought with him Ammon and Amalek. The name Amalek is repeatedly associated with Esau. 
There's another interesting name. Esau, Jacob's brother, Isaac's son. Another nation that came from Abraham. Another nation that came from a man who would teach his children to serve God, yet they didn't listen. Amalek and Ishmael. Ishmael is another nation that, the Ishmaelites are another nation that uh, is a constant thorn in the side of Israel today from that relationship with uh, Hagar because Sarah wasn't patient enough. And then we notice that Eglon is in the city of palm trees, which is Jericho. These three kings possessed the city of palm trees. But the interesting thing here is that in the book of Joshua, there was a curse put on Jericho. Go to Joshua 6, 26. Joshua 6, 26. And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his younger son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Jericho apparently hadn't been completely abandoned. Now, I don't know that the walls were ever set back up in this time, but Israel had continued to live there. It had continued to be a hub for trade and, and for the things of the world. This is the city where Rahab and her family were grafted into the nation of Israel because of her faith and work for the Lord. But it was still a city full of sin. Jericho was a place that God wanted completely destroyed, yet Israel chose to stick around and play in the rubble. Oh, how we cry to the Lord when we get caught fooling around with things that He has already delivered us from. And now Israel is doing the same thing. Not only was Eglon bringing his friends and they were living in a wicked and evil place, but Eglon was greedy. Eglon was a very greedy king. The Bible tells us that he was very fat. So fat, in fact, that the dagger, which was a cubit length, went in and became stuck inside of him and couldn't be removed. Malachi, how long is a cubit? There's only one right answer. It's the length from the tip of your finger to your elbow. So that's why it's anywhere from 12 to 24 inches. So most people just say 18 inches because it's right in the middle. But on a, on a man, they measured a cubit as the length from the tip of your finger to your elbow because that's what they had to measure with was their hands, their feet. Their... So he was at least that fat. But that's not, it's really not that big. 
in the United States today. I mean, but not only was he fat and, and filling himself, but he demanded great gifts every year. Now, this isn't anything out of the norm. This is normal procedure for a conquering king. They want, they want whoever they conquer to pay tribute, kind of like taxes, but we're not going to go there. But he was so greedy that he didn't just take a little. This would have been the majority of what Israel produced in a year. This is why we'll later see Gideon threshing weed in secret, trying to hide it from the, the Midianites. Gideon and Midian, the Midianites. We see this as an example or in an example in the plagues in Genesis or in Exodus when God brought the caterpillars in the 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 uh, Exodus 4, 10, 14. Yeah. Exodus 10 and verse number 14. I have it written down. I'm going to go there. Exodus 10 and verse number 14. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them there were no such locusts as they, neither after them shall be such. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. And they did eat every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. In the book of Joel, Joel chapter 1, we see another example of this. If I can find, there we go. Joel chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, Hear this, ye old men, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land, Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it, and tell your children, tell their children, and their children another generation. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left, the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake, ye drunkards, and weep and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. He hath made it clean bare and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Chapter 1 continues on with just much more destruction. Verse number 17, the seed is rotten under their clods. The gardeners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down for the corn is withered. Joel is just describing Israel being completely destroyed. And that's the way the appetite of this world is today. 
Nothing is ever enough for them. Nothing was enough for Eglon. But the Lord never intended this to be the case for His children. We are supposed to be sufficed and content. We see this in Exodus 15 or 16. This is uh, the story of the manna. We have talked about it a couple of times now, but they were supposed to go out in Exodus 16 and gather the manna. Sorry, Exodus. Yeah, 16. Verse number 15, And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. And he goes on to tell them to gather just enough for them for each day, not to keep it over, or it'll get worms. But then on the sixth day, gather double, so that you don't have to work on the seventh. Because the seventh day was a Sabbath of rest. We're going to talk about that later tonight. This should give those of us who would be leaders something to think about. Eglon took and took and took. And he lived a wealthy and a gluttonous life. But this is not what we are to do as leaders. We are to be servants worried more about those who follow us than ourselves. Man, if the government would get a hold of that situation, get a hold of that idea right now. We see this example in Christ Himself throughout His entire ministry on earth. He put the needs of the disciples and the apostles first. Washing their feet, from washing their feet to calming the storms to healing those around Him. But he also commanded it for his, for his disciples. We find that in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke. These are just a few examples of where Christ said, lead by serving. But Eglon was not that kind of king. And we're not that kind of people at heart. Most of us are more like Veruca Salt, the selfish bad egg from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I want it, and I want it now. But God in His mercy rose up Ehud. Mercy brings a judge. After 18 years, Israel finally cries out to the Lord, and He hears them. Why did it take 18 years? Why do we let ourselves get so far away from God before we get right again? Luke 15 Luke 15 and verse number 11, we have the story of the prodigal son. The son that demanded that the father divide unto them his living and give him his inheritance, basically telling his father to go and die. And he went out and he spent it all because he wanted it now. And he eventually ends up in the, in the pig pen fighting the pigs for food before he comes to himself understanding that his father's servants still have are far better off than he is. But it's also interesting to note here the reaction of the brother that stayed. Last Sunday night we talked about in the Gospel of John how the Jews saw the man pick up his bed and 
and carry it, and they immediately criticized him because it was the Sabbath day. And we're going to talk about that later tonight. But the son that stayed, his reaction is just, just interesting. In verse number 25, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother is dead. Thy brother was dead and is alive again. And was lost and is found. You see, the son that stayed was far more selfish than the son that left. He stayed because he wanted everything else. He couldn't be happy that his brother was alive and returned to the family. But their father, a picture of God, showed grace and mercy to his brother. God is raising up Ehud. And there's a few things interesting about Ehud. Ehud is a Benjamite. I think in one of our previous lessons we went over the fact that Benjamin was the smallest tribe. Benjamin was the brother of Joseph that was born right before Joseph went into Egypt the last son of Jacob. God chose a man from the smallest tribe to raise up as the deliverer. But not only did God choose this man from the smallest tribe, but it specifically states here that Ehud is left-handed. Now, does anybody have any idea how many people in the world it's estimated to be are left-handed? Is anybody here left-handed? Malachi? Okay. So they estimate that only 10% of the population of the world is left-handed. Now, I'm, I'm ambidextrous. So I can use both hands pretty much evenly. But only 10% is left-handed. And we're going to see later on in the book of Judges as it talks about the Benjamites again that... Uh, we go through another judge, but it talks about how all of the, the Benjamites were, almost all of them were left-handed, and they could sling stones at a hairbreadth and not miss. Now, this may not seem like a big deal, but when you look at it as a picture of the state of the world, you begin to understand that it's not the majority that will follow Christ. The majority will walk away. It's the minority that will choose to become the true children of God. And we're not talking about a 51 to 49% ratio. It's more like a 90 to 10% ratio. 
90% of the world will walk away from God and 10% will choose to follow Him. That's why Christ says in the Gospels, in Matthew uh, 7, I should be able to quote this, but Matthew 7, In verse number 13. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Down in verse number 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know, this takes me back to Esau and to Lot and uh, to Ammon and Moab. Men who should have known God. Who had every reason to know exactly who God was. Ishmael. Sons of Abraham. And yet, they're going to be turned away. Because they're choosing to follow God their way, instead of His way. But Ehud has success. Sort of. For Ehud, it's a great success. He's able to defeat Moab, the Moabites, and rule over Israel for 80 years. And this is a great success for one person. However, God's ways are higher than our ways, which means that that success for God is a little different. In this case, Israel as a whole is still a failure. Yes, for 80 years they followed God, but when Ehud was dead, they turned back back away from God. Understand that these turnings are not immediate and isolated incidents in time. Israel doesn't just make it, wake up one day and say, today I'm going to follow Baal. But these are gradual periods of falling away. We've seen in chapter 1 how it starts. starts with a little bit of disobedience. Still moving in the same direction, but not doing it exactly how God wants you to do it. And by the end, they're so far away from God that they can't see Him anymore. Now, I've got a little object lesson we're going to be done here real quick. But, and I've talked about this a little bit. Uh, we did this down in Missouri. But I'm going to ask you guys, you kids, what is a small sin? Come on, don't be shy. What is a small sin? What is something that you would consider, even though it's sinful, to be okay? <clears throat> Nobody? No little white things? Wow. You guys must all be perfect. Most people would say that we have big lies and little lies. They would say that, you know, a little white lie 
you know, when your wife asks you if she looks fat in that dress and you say no and maybe she really does, you guys don't understand that, but Jesse does. He's about ready to fall out of the chair laughing. Most people would say that's okay. But a lie is still a lie. So, yesterday, and I'm not at all saying that my wife is fat. My wife is not fat. My wife is beautiful. If she... <laughs> If she was a president, she'd be Abraham Lincoln. Anyway, so yesterday I measured this room. This room is 27 feet long. From that wall to that wall. So, if I put a line down the middle of this room, straight line, and starting at one foot, started another line, and went a half an inch off of that line, how far do you think how far off do you think I would be if I just continued at every foot mark going a half an inch farther? Any guesses? My wife knows. And is he bigger? I'd be thirteen and a half inches off by the time I got to the other wall. Now that doesn't seem like a big deal. But if I do the same thing and I start at one foot at a half an inch and it Two feet, I double that and make it an inch. And at three feet, I double that and make it two inches. How far off do you think I'd be by the time I got to that wall? What? Out the window. Out what window? Oh, you're going to go that way? I was going to go that way. All the way through the kitchen. 250 miles. If you just double every foot what you had the foot before... By the time you get to 27 feet, you're 250 miles in that direction. Now, technically, you're still going in the direction that you originally intended. You're still moving forward, but you're moving much farther to the side. You're moving much farther away from God. And that's how our life is. We fit somewhere in between that staying straight on the line and all of a sudden we've gotten so far off in sin that we're, we're way out in left field. Or right field in this case. It's really not that hard to get off that far. That's where Israel is. But thankfully, Israel consistently cries out to God. They come to a point where they've had enough and they cry out to God and they come back and God brings them back. But there are many men in the Bible that didn't do that. That's why it's so important for us to keep short accounts with God. Because the farther away you get, the harder it is to come back. the harder God has to work to bring you back where you should be.